It is Thursday, May 30th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola, and we are in the thick of OTAs season at this point. That means a bit of news starting to flow from the NFL faucet. We're getting updates on guys who got hurt in 2018. We're learning about previously unmentioned surgeries, such as that for Chicago tight end Trey Burton. So it's time to start keeping tabs on the Shark Bites section on DraftSharks.com. Check it out. It's free for everybody. While you're there, you can also dig into all of our 2019 rankings and projections, both offense and defense. I did finally get the IDPs live last Friday, so let me know what I've got wrong there. Here on the podcast, we kicked off a series last week digging into our projections process. Jared and I are talking about pass run splits for each team that helped generate our numbers to this point. We're delivering some of the valuable player trends and notes that are also helping to form our specific 2019 expectations. We started last week with the AFC East. Today, we're going to jump over to the NFC East. Of course, you can find last week's episode on the website or wherever you get your podcasts from. We will kick off today's episode on the NFC East with the Dallas Cowboys. And Jared, some changes on the coaching staff, but I don't know if it's anything major. Yeah, well, we got um, Kellen Moore as offensive coordinator. Um, and yeah, you know, Moore was obviously in the league as a quarterback just a few years ago. This will be his first season as his offensive coordinator. He was a Cowboys quarterback coach last year. He's going to call plays though for this offense. He's taking that over from Jason Garrett. So yeah, I mean, Garrett's still there. He's an offensive mind. I don't expect major changes, but, but I do think, you know, more might bring some more creativity to this offense. At least that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. I mean, it- you look at a team that's been run by an offensive-minded coach for 10 years now, and you think there's probably not going to be a whole lot of change. But there is a reason that they moved on from Scott Linehan and promoted a guy who's never been a coordinator before. It's interesting to note, I think, that now the Dallas offense is basically going to be under the command of three former NFL quarterbacks. Jason Garrett as the head coach, Kellen Moore as the OC, and John Kitna as the new quarterbacks coach. Uh, you know, you could quibble over how much of an NFL quarterback Kellen Moore ever was, but all three guys played quarterback in the league. I wonder if it's going to get a little bit more of a pass lean going, which we already saw start late last season. Exactly. I mean, I, I think when we look at the Cowboys season last year, we need to basically split it up into pre Amari Cooper, post Amari Cooper, um, pre Amari Cooper last season. So the first seven games of last season, the Cowboys threw at 51.5 percent of the time post Amari Cooper the final nine games that climbed to 56.7 percent meanwhile the Cowboys in 2016 were the most run heavy team in the league that was the uh, it was the first or second season for Dak Prescott I'm, I don't have it in front of me at the moment but 2016 they were the most run heavy team in the league uh 2017 they were the third most run heavy yes 2016 was Dak Prescott's uh, rookie season so then they climbed from there last year 59 percent pass after the Amari Cooper trade in 2018, Jason Garrett's first four Cowboy teams all leaned more toward the pass. For this year, I landed at 57-43 for my pass run split for the purpose of doing my projections. I would not be surprised, though, if we see something more like the 59% of the second half of last season. Yeah, I'm right there with you, a 56.5% pass. Um, and yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a bit higher. 
The other note I wanted to make um, <clears throat> about Dallas's offense post Amari Cooper is they ran a bunch more plays per game after that too. And, you know, that, that's likely because it was just a better offense. They were holding the ball longer, but um, 57.1 plays per game pre Amari Cooper, 62.9 plays per game post Cooper. So, you know, that's five and a half plays per game. That's not insignificant. That's, you know, that'd be 92 extra plays over a full season. So I, you know, I'm based on what we saw last year and just the, the personnel in place, you know, it's still one of the better offensive lines in the league. Um, this is an offense I'm excited about and one I'm definitely looking to invest in, in fantasy drafts this summer. And we will certainly keep comparing pre and post Cooper throughout the rest of this team rundown. We'll start with quarterback notes now and Dak Prescott completion rate, interception rate, yards per attempt, all rebounded in 2018 versus, um, dips that he took in those categories in 2017, not quite back to his 2016 levels, but We did see a more productive quarterback after Amari Cooper arrived. Not a shock. Before they had Amari Cooper, 62.1% completions, an 87.4 QB rating, 6.9 yards per attempt for Dak Prescott. He was averaging 202.4 passing yards and 1.1 touchdowns per game before Cooper arrived. After Cooper arrived, completed 71% of his passes, a QB rating of 103, 7.7 yards per attempt. So that's almost a full yard, 0.8 yards per pass attempt. Um, Overall, the totals, 274.2 passing yards per game, 1.6 touchdown passes per game. That's a half a touchdown more per game after Cooper arrived for Dak Prescott. So certainly helped out his numbers. Yeah. So, so, so Dak was more efficient with Cooper he also threw it more uh, after Cooper arrived, which we already talked about with the pass rate climbing, with the plays per game climbing. Dak Prescott was third in the NFL in pass attempts over the final nine games of last season. And you couple that with the improved efficiency, plus his rushing ability, which I think we'll talk about here in a second. Um, Dak was quarterback six over those final nine games of last season. Yep. Rushing, his volume was similar. Actually, his volume dipped slightly with Cooper around 40 carries over the first seven games with no Cooper, 35 carries over the final nine games. His yards per carry dipped way down, which seems like it's probably fluky, and I don't know that we're going to see that again. Went from 5.7 carries and 33.7 yards per game pre-Cooper to 3.9 carries per game and just 7.7 yards per game. Was still scoring touchdowns, so I think overall you have to say I would not bet on Amari Cooper being there hurting Dak Prescott's overall rushing production. No, I wouldn't either. I mean, he's pretty consistently been a top, you know, five to eight running quarterback since arriving in the league. Um, Over the past three seasons, Dak ranks fourth among all quarterbacks in rushing attempts. He's sixth in rushing yards. He's first in rushing TDs, six rushing scores each of his first three seasons. I know we we keep saying that's probably going to regress. We keep projecting it to regress. You know, I I know we have him for fewer than six rushing touchdowns this season, but I mean, he's definitely a weapon for Dallas near the goal line. Yeah, and the thing that helps him in there, the two things that help him in there is one, he's mobile. So even if they're calling pass, if he finds a lane, he's able to turn that into a rushing score. And two, it's Zeke Elliott and not much else in the backfield. So it's not like there are multiple guys siphoning ground scores from Dak Prescott in that, in that range. Right. Yep. Uh, anything else that you got on him? Nope, that's it. For the season last year, Dak Prescott was the number 12 fantasy quarterback, 18.8 fantasy points per game before Cooper arrived, 22.2 points per game after Cooper arrived. That would have made him QB 11 for the year. 
Uh, he had six top 12 weeks last season. Four of those came after Amari Cooper joined the team. And Dak Prescott was much more productive at home than he was on the road last year, but that was not so the previous two years. So I would not head into 2019 looking at Dak Prescott as a guy that I'm going to necessarily start at home and sit on the road. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Dak's finished top 11 in fantasy points among quarterbacks in all three of his NFL seasons now. And I know in drafts so far this spring, he, he's going well later than quarterback 11. So I, I think he's a nice value right now. Yes, we will talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. On to running back notes where, of course, Zeke Elliott has led the NFL in rushing yards per game every season that he has been in the league so far. He's averaging 21.7 carries per game for his career. And Amari Cooper's arrival, even though it helped the pass offense, that did not come at the expense of Ezekiel Elliott's numbers. Yeah, exactly. More carries per game. So his carries went from 18.9 to 21.5 per game uh, with Amari Cooper. Targets went up too, 5.1 targets per game to 7.4 targets per game for Zeke um, with Amari Cooper. Elliott was sitting uh, eighth among running backs in PPR points over those first seven weeks. Over the first not over those final nine with Cooper, he was second in PPR points, also second in non-PPR points. And it wasn't just overall volume rising. Uh, Elliott went from a 17.5% target share in the seven games before Cooper to a 21.4% share after. That probably comes down some this year with Michael Gallup developing, with Jason Witten returning, with Randall Cobb arriving. But the overall message is Zeke Elliott's, uh, Zeke Elliott's volume is going to be just fine running the ball catching the ball. He's a good bet to get the ball. Yeah. And I mean, even if his target volume dips a bit this season, he, he should be more efficient. He only averaged 6.0 yards per target last year after averaging 8.2 yards per target across his first two seasons. So I think you're going to see that rebound, you know, at least uh, somewhere in between there at seven or so yards per target. Um, I also think Zeke is a excellent bet for positive touchdown regression. He only scored six touchdowns last year on his 304 carries. Um, that was a 1.97% touchdown rate. Zeke scored on 3.9% of his carries over his first two seasons. You give him that touchdown rate on his 304 carries last year, and that's 12 touchdowns. So that's, you know, doubling his touchdowns from six to 12. So I think you know, he, he's a, he's a good bet to score quite a bit more this season. Yeah. And all of that is, of course, why he's duking it out with Saquon Barkley for the top spot in drafts already. Not a whole lot to like behind him because, as we've said, Zeke Elliott's getting the ball or no Dallas running back is getting the ball pretty much. But if you're looking for a handcuff, the candidates are a couple of rookies, Tony Pollard, Mike Weber. For me, Jared, I'll take Tony Pollard over the other options if I'm looking for a late Zeke handcuff. You know, whether I already drafted Zeke or whether I just want like a like a high ceiling handcuff type late in the draft. Tony Pollard didn't see a lot of rushing work in college, just 139 carries across his three seasons at Memphis, but that's because he was blocked by Daryl Henderson. Pollard did beat Henderson in receptions each of their three shared seasons. He averaged 12.4 yards per catch, caught nine touchdowns for his career. Stephen Jones likened him to Alvin Kamara. Didn't, you know, he didn't say Tony Pollard is Alvin Kamara. He said something along the lines of Tony Pollard brings some of the Alvin Kamara element that teams are now looking for. Also averaged 6.8 yards per rush in college. So the receiving stuff makes me think that Dallas would like to get Pollard involved even when Zeke Elliott's playing. And I think that Pollard is the high upside guy, the highest upside guy, if Zeke were to go down. 
Yeah, uh, Pollard would be my lean right now. I am curious, though, to see if Dallas views him as a potential lead back if Zeke does miss time or if they just see him as more of that, you know, change of pace gadget guy. So I'll be keeping an eye on that, you know, once training camp gets going later this summer. Um, like you said, none of these guys, you know, Pollard, Weber, Darius Jackson in the mix, um, none of them will have fantasy value when Zeke's on the field. But, um, you know, Zeke, you know, dealing with this this new off-field incident doesn't seem serious. Um, you know, I had a run-in with a security guard, but, you know, considering his past, he's already been suspended once for, uh, you know, his conduct off the field. Um, I think, you know, there's a chance he's he, he gets suspended again this season. On to the pass catcher notes. Uh, why don't you start us off with something juicy there? Well, yeah, let's start with Amari Cooper and how um, busy and productive he was with the Cowboys. So if you expand it out to be, to his 11 games with Dallas, including the playoffs, just to give us a, a bigger sample, Cooper averaged 8.5 targets per game in those 11 contests, um, a 24.4% target share. That's a nice number. Um, he averaged six catches, 81 and a half yards, and 0.64 touchdowns per game over those 11 contests. That's a, that's a full season pace of 96 catches. 1,304 yards, 10 touchdowns. It would have made him the PPR wide receiver nine uh, last season. And, and that's all, you know, joining the team midseason. You know, very little time to learn the playbook, very little time to develop any chemistry with, with Dak Prescott. So um, exciting um, spot for Cooper here heading into 2019. Did still remain the highly volatile player that we got in Oakland. 160 and a half PPR points he scored in Dallas. 54.6% of those came in two games. And I'm just talking about regular season here. Uh, week 12 against Washington, week 14 against Philly, he scored five of his six touchdowns in those two games. Four other times in that nine-game span, Cooper had single-digit fantasy point totals. Uh, his third and fourth best fantasy outings as a Cowboy, though, did come in the playoffs. So as you said, if we expand it to 11 games, it gets a little bit steadier in terms of the scoring. I think that you should head into 2019 expecting Amari Cooper to be a volatile scorer. It's a volatile fantasy position, and I think that especially with this time of year focusing more on best ball drafting, it's a lot easier to overlook the peaks and valleys in his scoring and treat Amari Cooper like a uh, like somebody who's on right on the bottom edge of wide receiver one territory. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's where we have him ranked. That's where I'd feel. You know, I, I would love to have Cooper as my second wide receiver as my number one. It makes me feel a bit uneasy because I do, you know, even with the changes in coaching staff and the, you know, further lean towards the past last season, I do think the Cowboys offense, you know, Zeke Elliott's still, still the, the one a there and then Cooper's the one B. So there might be some games where, you know, Cooper doesn't see that elite target volume. And for what it's worth, I mean, Cooper's probably a better best ball player than he is uh, lineup setting, not only because of the volatility, but because those big weeks, I, he's got weak winning upside to him. If you don't have to decide when to trust him, he, he, he's got as much weekly splash upside as any player at the position. Yep, definitely. Uh, on to Michael Gallup, whose target share was also up with Amari Cooper aboard, up from 10.7% before Cooper to 14.4% after Cooper arrived, 3.1 targets per game before, 5.5 targets per game after, including the two playoff games. Gallup saw a season high uh, in receptions with 6 and season high in receiving yards with 119 in the playoff finale, the loss to the Rams. So it was trending up late in the season. I would like Michael Gallup more right now if the offense weren't so crowded. Right. I think, you know, the return of Jason Witten, the addition of Randall Cobb hurt Gallup a bit. I, I still love Gallup as a player, and I think he's the guy who would probably benefit 
most if Dallas does lean further towards the pass this season. You know, if they get up to 58, 59% pass, then I think it's possible you could see, you know, the number two wide receiver, which I do expect to be Michael Gallup ahead of Randall Cobb. I think you, know, you might see that guy be someone who we can, you know, be plugging in the fantasy lineups, at least when the matchup is right. Uh, what do we get in Randall Cobb arriving, taking over for Cole Beasley? Yeah, I mean, so so Beasley, it's funny, Beasley was like the only guy who was hurt with the arrival of Amari Cooper last season. Um, Beasley saw 6.1 targets per game pre-Amari Cooper. That dropped to 4.9 with Amari Cooper over those final nine regular season games. Um, Now, I I kind of expect Randall Cobb to step into Beasley's role. We'll see what that means for volume. Cobb, though, was brutal last season. Um, Among 79 wide receivers who saw 50-plus targets last year, Cobb ranked 77th in yards per target, 72nd in yards per route run, and that's you know catching passes from Aaron Rodgers. So I know I, I was the I was the guy um, you know trying to defend Cobb around this time last year. Um, I'm I'm sort of off the Randall Cobb train at this point though. Yeah, I mean Randall Cobb. He averaged 12.7 yards per catch over his first five years, 10.0 yards per catch over the past three. Again, that was with Aaron Rodgers. So if anything, the situation helped him. Uh, Cole Beasley never topped five targets in, no, I'm sorry. One time last year, Cole Beasley topped five targets in consecutive games. The year before he never topped three receptions in consecutive games. So now we get a declining Randall Cobb stepping into a role that was already not worth a whole lot for fantasy with Cole Beasley there. I don't think that Randall Cobb is an upgrade on Cole Beasley at this point. I don't think that he's a fantasy factor really for 2019. I mean, the NFL certainly views Beasley as the better player at this point, just based on how you know they were treated in free agency. Jason Witten returns, and I'm not a whole lot more excited for him than I am about uh, Randall Cobb. What about you? No, I mean, I don't think Witten is worth a draft pick in you know standard size fantasy drafts. I would not be surprised though if we're talking about him as a spot starter at certain points um, this coming season. Though, I mean, he he saw 87 targets. Um, when we last saw him in 2017, which is almost the exact same number Cowboys tight ends combined for last season. Um, they combined for 92 targets. So you can you can get Witten up to, you know, 75 to 80 targets in the projections. And if he sees that amount of volume, at least in PPR leagues, you know, I could see him being an option, um, you know, when the bye weeks start to hit this coming season. Yeah, I mean, I can see some spot starts for him, but... Uh, it's not going to be because he's sitting on my roster waiting to make those starts. I mean, the last time we saw him, he had three point, he averaged 3.9 catches per game. That was the fewest since his rookie season in 2003. He had a career low 8.9 yards per catch. That was part of three straight years under 10 yards per catch. So already obviously a player in decline. It was not shocking that he uh, retired. And also that team that Jason Witten last played for, there were 132 targets for Des Bryant. Then there was Witten's 87. Then the next guy on the list was Terrence Williams with 78. The team he returns to has Amari Cooper, has Michael Gallup in his second season, has Randall Cobb, who even if he's declining is still somebody that's going to soak up targets. It does have uh, Blake Jarwin. It does have Dalton Schultz, who was a rookie last year. So again, if the Cowboys were excited about either of those guys, they probably wouldn't have brought Jason Witten out of the Monday Night Football booth other than to help humanity. But (laughs) There's all of these people around for to take stuff away from a tight end who was just a volume play before he retired. Yeah, and the Cowboys were not utilizing Zeke Elliott in the passing game um, like they did last year the last time we saw Witten. So yeah, again, I, I don't expect him to match 
you know, the the 87 targets he saw back in 2017. But I think he can get like 70 or so. If you're starting him this season, it's going to be hoping for like four catches for 40 yards and then maybe he, you know, falls into the end zone. Yeah, and I'm going to have a hard time drafting him anywhere outside of the FFPC, which has the, you know, point and a half PPR for tight ends. And so everybody drafts a bunch of them. Right. Who I like here, and that is Dak Prescott, because most, I mean, for all the reasons that we already mentioned, and on top of that, he is QB 18 on play draft right now. He's behind Josh Allen. He is behind Lamar Jackson. So anytime that you want to argue with me on Twitter or elsewhere that Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson is undervalued, my first argument is going to be that Dak Prescott is behind both of them, and there's not a chance I would take either of those guys with Dak Prescott still on the board. Yep, again, Dak's finished uh, 6th, 11th, and 11th among quarterbacks in fantasy points through his first three seasons. He probably has the best weaponry um, of his career this coming season. You know, We talked about Dallas potentially throwing it more, so yeah, I, I love Dak. He's one of my favorite quarterback targets where you can get him. Um, I like Zeke Elliott, you know, obviously, if I have... You know, before this latest off-field stuff, I was taking Zeke at number one um, ahead of Saquon Barkley most times. Um, you, know, you know, the off-field stuff has me shying away a bit maybe at this point, but if that blows over, I just think the safety in Zeke's workload, the offensive line in front of him, you know, just the continuity. We've seen it for three years with him. Um, I think, you know, that, that that to me makes him a safer bet than, than Saquon, assuming the off-field stuff um, doesn't impact his availability this season. Yeah, and I've been basically alternating between them as the top overall pick. I think that you can make a case either way. Saquon is the slightly safer bet for volume because he is more all of his offense than even Zeke Elliott is. Uh, But Zeke has the higher scoring ceiling because of his offense, I think. Yep. On the who I don't like side, there's really nobody in Dallas that I hate at their price this year. Uh, Once we get past best ball season – I'm not going to be going nuts over Amari Cooper at wide receiver 12 when I have to decide whether to start him every week and I have to deal with those peaks and valleys in my lineup. Yeah, I think Cooper's like like fairly priced right now as ADP sitting in the mid third round. I, I still prefer AJ Green over him at this point. And Green, you know, tends to be around even longer than Cooper. So that, that's probably why I haven't drafted a ton of Cooper yet. But I think he's fine. I um, mean, yeah, there's there's no one on this offense I'm really avoiding again. It's an offense I want to invest in this season, I think. Um you know, again, Cooper's fine where he is. Michael Gallup is a guy who, especially in best ball, you know, I think he's he he might be tough to rely on if he he doesn't see, um, you know, more targets than he did, um, you know, more than the five point one targets he did over those final nine games with Cooper. But um, I think I think he could have some big games just because of his his uh, downfield ability. On to the New York Giants, where we had nothing significant in the coaching changes box, which is kind of nice, makes things a little easier. Yeah, uh, head coach Pat Shermer back, OC Mike Shula back. Last year's Giants finished fifth in the NFL with a 62.2% pass rate. And Shermer's offenses, um, 10 seasons as a head coach or an offensive coordinator, his offense has ranked top 10 in pass attempts in five of those 10 seasons, and it's been top 16 in eight of those 10 seasons. So he's definitely a guy who likes to lean towards the pass as a play caller. Yeah. Last season, though, was the most pass-heavy offense of Pat Shermer's career as either a head coach or or an offensive coordinator. Uh, as you said, there was the fifth most pass-heavy offense in the league last year. The average Shermer offense before that, 58% pass. He only cracked 61% pass one time before last season, and that was his half season as the Minnesota offensive coordinator in 2016. I landed on a 60-40 split for this year's Giants. 
because uh, I don't think the team's going to be very good. So I think they'll be throwing plenty. And as we mentioned, uh, Shermer has already leaned toward the pass heavier ways. Yeah, I, I have a, at a sixty forty two, which again it was actually a bit lower on the pass side than last year. But you know they did lose Odell Beckham, so I think they're going to want to rely on Saquon Barkley even more this season. Right. I didn't want to project too much of a passing lean when they just traded away one of the best receivers in the league. Uh, but there, I, I think that the the lean will still be there, even if it's just even if it's necessarily so because they're not that good. Yep. QB notes, Eli Manning is barely worth talking about now that Odell Beckham is gone because in 59 games with Odell Beckham around, he averaged 271.9 yards, 1.8 touchdown passes. In 21 games over that span with Odell Beckham not playing, Eli Manning fell to 218.8 yards, 1.3 touchdowns. Beckham's gone. Eli Manning is gone from my plan. Yeah, so since Beckham arrived, uh, so over the past five seasons, Manning – Averaged 8.8 yards per attempt throwing to Beckham, 6.5 yards per attempt targeting everyone else. So yeah, like you said, it's, it's a massive loss. Eli was already on the you know border of the fantasy radar anyway. So to me, you know, even in a two quarterback league, I'm hoping to get a better quarterback too than Eli. Yeah, and we'll uh, hit on his numbers even a little bit further later. But for now, let's move on to guys that actually matter. Running back notes: Saquon Barkley led the league in total yards in 2018. Third most total yards ever for a rookie behind only Eric Dickerson and Edger and James. Tied for eighth most targets ever for a running back, rookie or not. Tied for the sixth most receptions at the position. Just 25th in receiving yards, average 7.9 yards per catch. So he might have a hard time upping his efficiency there, but whatever. He's going to get the ball plenty. Led all 2018 running backs in the league in carry share. So his portion of the team's overall carries. Ranked third among running backs in team target share. They are going to need to give him the ball a ton. And I think maybe the most impressive thing from Saquon Barkley is that he didn't show any signs of hitting a rookie wall despite being worked that hard. He actually saw 13.9 carries per game before the bye, 18.8 carries per game after. And yet he aver- he went from 4.7 yards per carry before the bye to 5.3 after. He went from two games of 100-plus rushing yards before the bye to five games of 100-plus yards after. The guy is awesome. Yep, the guy is awesome. Um, he's you know going to be one of the best volume bets weekly throughout this coming season. So tough to really poke any holes. You know, he 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 could even see more targets this season with Beckham gone. We we did see. Um, Saquon's target share climb a bit um, in the four games Beckham missed last season 21.4% target share in those four games without Beckham that was up a bit from 20.9 in the in the uh, first 12 games with Beckham on the field so it could could be even busier in the passing game this year if there's you know one spot where he might regress it's that 5.0 yards per carry 31 running backs over the previous 10 seasons averaged 5.0 zero or more yards per carry on 150 attempts. The following year, 87% of those guys averaged fewer yards per carry. 71% of them saw their average dip by 0.6 yards or more. I don't even think Saquon's going to dip by 0.6 yards or more, but I do think he's unlikely to repeat that type of efficiency on the ground. Yeah, I would say so as well. But the other thing working in his favor is that even if Pat Shermer is paying a little lip service to not wanting to overwork Barkley, his roster does not back that up because they added only Rod Smith, who has 101 career carries, 38 career targets through five seasons in Dallas, to a backfield that otherwise has Wayne Gallman, who is nothing special. So 
Uh, it's going to be lots of Saquon Bar- Barkley and lots of ignoring every other Giants running back for me. Yep. On to the pass catcher notes. Obviously, the big thing is Odell Beckham leaving. What does that mean? Yeah, so Beckham saw 124 targets last year. and That was just in 12 games, but it was 21.3% of the Giants total. So obviously a big opportunity left behind here. Um, you know, we, we have some numbers on guys like Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram with and without Odell Beckham. So Shepard's played 11 career games without OBJ. In those games, eight targets per game, 4.7 catches, 64.6 yards, 0.2 touchdowns per game. It's a full season pace of 76 catches. 1,034 yards, three touchdowns. Those numbers would have made him PPR wide receiver 23 last year. And that's that's with you know, only three touchdowns on 76 catches. He's likely to score more this season. So Shepard's a guy, you know, even with concerns about Eli Manning and this offense in general, I think he's a guy who is a fine value in drafts right now. Yeah, Shepard's target share over the past two years jumped from 16.8% when Beckham's on the field to 21.5% with no Beckham in the lineup. So certainly he should be helped by volume. Uh, He's kind of a guy that I reluctantly consider at some point because he's not exciting, but somebody has to get the ball and somebody's going to score two or three times (laughs) for the Giants, no matter how bad they are. The kind of story of the Giants receivers besides Odell Beckham leaving at this point is whether Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate are redundant talents and whether they give the team basically nothing but slot receivers at this point. And if, I mean, from here, it looks like that's exactly the case. The Giants clearly don't believe that. And it's worth noting that Sterling Shepard actually dropped his percentage of time in the slot from about 84% in 2017 to about 59% last year. Uh, was Did do most of his producing over his first two seasons in the target, or I'm sorry, in the slot versus outside. But last year was actually decent Uh, on outside targets, 9.7 yards per target playing outside of the slot versus 7.7 yards per target in the slot, 26 catches outside of the slot and nearly half of his receiving yards. Yeah, I'll be curious to see how they deploy Shepard and Tate as far as inside outside. I do think though, both guys are wide receivers who do their best work, you know, near the line of scrimmage. And that, that sort of fits, definitely fits Eli Manning at this stage of his career. I think it even will fit Daniel Jones, who I think, you know, isn't going to be a guy who's great chucking it deep. So I think that's sort of what the Giants are thinking here. Um, you know, Golden Tate has led all wide receivers in missed tackles forced in five of the last six seasons. And then the other season, he finished second. So, you know, he, he remains one of the better yards after catch guys in the NFL. And I think, you know, that that's, that's going to help Eli Manning. Yeah, and we look at Golden Tate as a strictly slot receiver at this point. But that was a a more recent development. Over his first four seasons in Seattle, he only reached 20% slot snaps one time. Uh, So he was under 20% the other three seasons. In Detroit, he spent the first two years uh, right about 56 to 59% in the slot. But 2016 was just 27%. 2017 jumped to 79%. Last year was at 70% at each of his stops, Detroit and Philly. Uh, The Giants talk about moving him around. I think they'll probably play Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate, some in the slot, some outside. I think they're going to have to because there's not a whole lot else at wide receiver for them. I think, like you said, the the biggest asset, besides just being a reliable catcher, is whether Golden Tate can create yards after the catch with the Giants. Hasn't been 
awesome lately in terms of yards per catch, and I don't think he's in the right spot to really get it there. But, you know, if you can get him late, then we'll see. Yeah, I mean, you you sort of trade the yards per catch for a higher catch rate with a guy like Golden Tate. He was still effective last year, though. Um, 22nd in yards per route run among 79 wide receivers who saw 50-plus targets last year. And that, that was, you know, across two different teams for Golden Tate, which, you know, can be a challenge. So he, he's still a, a good player. Uh, Evan Ingram might get the biggest boost. He had seen 22.4% of targets in games that Odell Beckham missed over the past two years. Only Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz, and George Kittle reached that level of market share in 2018 among tight ends. Uh, Evan Ingram is also eighth among tight ends in receptions per game over the past two years. He is 12th all time among tight ends in receptions over the first two seasons of his career. So he's been very productive in a span where most tight ends are not. Right. And in his 15 career games without Beckham, uh, Ingram's averaged four and a half catches per game. 56.1 yards, 0.4 touchdowns. So that's a full season pace of 71 catches, 898 yards, six touchdowns. Those numbers would have made him the PPR tight end five last year. So I do think he's a big winner with Beckham gone. I think Ingram is right in that mix to be the fourth wide receiver drafted after uh, Kelsey Ertz and Kittle. Durability has been a bit of an issue for Evan Ingram, which is not shocking since he entered the league as a thin tight end. Um, Last year, a hamstring injury and MCL sprain. So those things, I think, make him worth watching even more on the durability front over the summer just to make sure there's not some recurrence of hamstring or knee stuff. Yeah, for sure. Otherwise, at wide receiver, they've got Corey Coleman, Cody Latimer, Russell Shepard, rookie Darius Slayton, and really – those guys are only worth mentioning because like a couple of them were formerly early round picks, neither of whom is still with the team that drafted them. Yep. Yeah. No, thanks on those guys who I like. I'm not, (laughs) I'm not excited about anyone, any for anyone for the giants this year. We already mentioned I was splitting number one picks between Zeke Elliott, Saquon Barkley. I will continue doing that for Saquon Barkley. I am okay with Evan Ingram in the mid to late fifth round. He's not exciting, but I'm fine with where he's going. Yep, same same deal for me. Not an offense I'm really looking to invest in. I think Ingram's fine. I think, again, you know, Shepard and Tate are both fine just because these targets have to go somewhere. I think they both those guys can be fairly efficient this season just because they work more closer um, to the line of scrimmage. So, you know, I, I think they're both decent bats for like 60 to 70 catches, and that, that's worth something once you get into, you know, the double-digit rounds of fantasy drafts. And I think though I think they'll both be a little bit more interesting come the time where we're drafting four lineup setting teams than they are for best ball because there's not a whole lot of weekly upside. I can you know put together eight seven to eight wide receivers that have more upside all the time than them. But it will be nice when we get to August to get a guy that I can count on for you know four catches and forty five yards every single week. Yeah, it's funny. It's, it seems like so many receivers, we say, you know, they're better picks in best ball. But I think, um, you know, guys like Shepard and Tate, those are the, the guys who probably have more value in lineup setting leagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, who I don't like, obviously, Eli Manning. And I will throw out that even with Odell Beckham there last year, uh, Manning posted five top 12 weeks among his 16 games. That put him 27th among quarterbacks in percentage of games that found him finishing inside the top 12. So now that Odell Beckham's gone, totally ignoring Eli Manning. Yep, he's off matter. I I don't even expect Eli to make it through the season. I think we're going to see Daniel Jones at some point this year. I hope we get Eli Jr. at some point this year. (laughs) On to the Eagles, where nothing big on the relevant coaching changes front. 
This year, we're just one year into or one year past, though, when Frank Reich left. Uh, He was the offensive coordinator the first two seasons under Doug Peterson. The offense went from third in points in 2017 and seventh in yards to 18th in points last year, 14th in yards. It fell from ninth in yards per play in 2017 to 17th in yards per play last year. Now, we will start to see in 2019 how much of that was Frank Reich and how much of it was other factors. Because in addition to Reich leaving, we had Carson Wentz missing five games, two at the beginning of the year, three at the end of the year. We had Jay Ajayi going down early in the season. We had Alshon Jeffrey missing the first three games and plenty of other issues going on. Yeah, and I think the the other noteworthy change um, without Reich last season, the Eagles climbed to ninth in pass rate after finishing 17th and 22nd the previous two years. So, you know, we'll see if that becomes a trend. The other note here, the Eagles um, over the past three seasons have finished fourth, third, and ninth in total offensive play. So it's been a good source of play volume over the past three years. Three Doug Peterson seasons so far, 59.4% pass. Uh, the first team that was 7-9 missed the playoffs in 2016, then down to 56% the second year, 61.6% last year, as you alluded to, for another playoff team. I think part of that was the injuries at running back in the thin backfield and you know leaning more toward where they, they liked what they had better. The three-year average for Doug Peterson offenses now in Philly is 59%. I went with that uh, just for projections purposes. I would not be at all surprised, though, if we get down to more like 57, 56% because we, they did add quite a bit to that backfield. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, Miles Sanders, uh, the second round pick, they signed Jordan Howard. And you know, I, I do expect this to be a good team, you know, one of the better teams in the league. So I, I think the Eagles will be playing with the lead quite a bit this season. And that always, you know, leads to more running. Carson Wentz, back from injury. We'll have to watch the health of his back through the summer. Uh, you know, he hasn't done a whole lot yet, so we're going to have to monitor that. But 28.21.8 fantasy points per game in 10 games after Alshon Jeffrey returned last year. That would have ranked 12th at the position. If you take out the goofy 5.4 fantasy point game at New Orleans, then it jumps to 23.6 per game. That would have ranked 7th. So it was a good fantasy season for Carson Wentz overall, despite coming off the double ligament tear in his left knee. His completion rate jumped, his yards per attempt climbed slightly, his yards per game were up 26 over the previous season, which also marked a jump from his rookie season. So he's climbing. There was a predictable regression in his passing touchdown rate. Uh, We expected that after Carson Wentz led the league in that category in 2017, but he still ranked a solid 13th in touchdown rate last year. So like I said, we'll watch the health of the back, but I don't think there's really any reason other than durability, you know, worries to dislike Carson Wentz this year. Yeah, career bests um, in completion rate and yards per attempt last year's third NFL season. He finished third in completion rate, ninth in yards per attempt among 30 quarterbacks who threw it 300 plus times last season. Um, over the past two years now, only Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Andrew Luck, and, and Russell Wilson have averaged more fantasy points per game than Carson Wentz. So when this guy's been on the field, he, he's you know been a top five fantasy quarterback, and um, you know he, he's a guy who is going later than that in draft. So he's another guy. You know, D- Dak Prescott and Carson Wentz, two of my favorite um, quarterback targets in, in early drafts so far. I agree. And when Carson Wentz has been off the field, Nick Foles has delivered us some 
fantasy starter level weeks. He has gone to Jacksonville now. Nate Sudfeld looks like the best bet to be the backup. He'll have a little bit of a fight on his hands, but I'm assuming that he wins out because he's been with the team. And I think that makes him one of the more attractive handcuff types in deep leagues and in dynasty, a guy you stash on the bench. And if Carson Wentz goes down, uh, you see what you have in Nate Sudfeld. Talking quarterback handcuffs, man. Oh, yeah. It's not going to be something to talk about with every team. This is one of the few situations where that's worth mentioning. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's a league where I'd use a roster spot on Sudfeld. But, um, yeah, I do think there's a chance he becomes a fantasy option if Wentz does miss time again this season. Yeah, there are those leagues out there, so we try to cater to everybody. Um, running back notes, the Eagles tied for 17th in the league last year in terms of producing top 24 running back performances. They only produced 12 total and five different players turned in at least one such performance. They then traded for Jordan Howard. Howie Roseman said he can catch the ball better than he gets credit for. That's not a direct quote, but that was the message from Howie Roseman. Um, and they spent a second round pick on Miles Sanders, which is a, a bigger expenditure than we've seen otherwise at the position under Doug Peterson. Yeah, so that'll be an interesting battle to watch this um, summer. I think when people talk about the Eagles' backfield, the thing you're going to hear is that you know Peterson is not going to commit to one guy. It's going to be a three, you know, four-headed committee, and that, that's certainly true to an extent. Um, you know, no running back has topped 173 carries or a 36.6% carry share over the past three seasons in Philly. But I think injuries have also played a part there. You know, Ryan Matthews was the lead back in 2016. He missed three games that season. Jay Ajayi was the lead back in 2017. He missed nine games that year. And then, you know, last year, Ajayi only lasted four games. Um, you know, when those types have been healthy, they have gotten decent workloads. In, in Peterson's 48 total games now with the Eagles, a running back has carried 14 plus times in 28 of those 48 games. So that's, you know, 58% of the time. So, you know, that's not a, not a great number, but I think it's higher than most people would think. So I, I do think, you know, if, if Miles Sanders can, you know, separate himself from Jordan Howard this summer, I do think, you know, he, he can be a guy that we rely on in fantasy lineups every week. Yeah. I'm not expecting it. I mean, I, he's, he's RB 29 right now, which is an okay price and I would bet on him leading Eagles running backs in scoring but I don't I don't think we're going to see somebody pull away and be a true lead back in this backfield unless somebody else gets hurt for Philly this year they they just I don't I don't think they have a reason to rely too heavily on Miles Sanders unless somebody else gets hurt or unless you know he just shows that he's that much better and it's actually harming the team to not get more touches yeah, which, which I do think is possible, especially in the passing game. I mean, they can say what they want about Jordan Howard, but I don't think the guy's a good pass catcher. I think having Sanders on, on the field gives him that versatility where, you know, def- defenses don't know they're going to run the ball like, it w- you know, will be the case when Jordan Howard's in the game. The departures of Jay Ajayi and Darren Sproles free up only 74 carries and 29 targets from last year's team. But Josh Adams is coming off sh- shoulder surgery after leading that team in carries as an undrafted free agent. Corey Clement finished last year on IR with a knee sprain. And even before he went down for the season, he had six straight weeks of five carries or fewer. So I don't think that they're huge on Corey Clement at this point. Wendell Smallwood was basically the most reliable running back for the Eagles overall last season. But seven games of seven plus carries in the regular season, seven games of two carries or fewer. So it was more like they relied on him because they had to, because they didn't have any better options. So even though we don't have that many touches 
obviously available. I think that the two new guys are going to easily step in ahead of the incumbents. Uh, We already mentioned what the Peterson running backs have done before this. None of the three teams that Doug Peterson has coached in Philly has seen the same running back lead the team in carries and targets. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I, I had trouble separating Smallwood and Clement when I was doing my projections, but you know, in the end, I don't think either guy is going to be fantasy relevant this season, at least without an injury to Sanders or Howard. Yeah, I, I don't. Not not all of these guys are going to make the team. Somebody's going to get left out completely. Any more running back notes before we move on to pass catchers? Move on. All right. On the pass catching notes, we got to start with Zacher. It's second in the league in receptions last year. Over the past four years. Only 13 players at any position have seen more targets. Only seven players have more total receptions. That's despite Zach Ertz missing five games over that span. Just two tight ends came within 40 targets of Zach Ertz's total last year. He saw a little bit more before Alshon Jeffrey returned, but still averaged nine and a half targets per game, even in the 13 after Alshon Jeffrey returned. The targets, I think, will come down a bit this year from last year because Alshon Jeffrey's healthier, because Deshaun Jackson's in town, and other factors are uh, maturing in the offense. But Zach Ertz is near the tight end, near the top of the tight end board where he belongs. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think. One of the safer picks in the early rounds of fantasy drafts. But I do, like you said, I think the, tar- the target volume is going to come down a bit this season. Um, Ertz finished with a 26% target share last year. That followed 22% in 2017, 20% in 2016. So you know, I, I projected him at 22% this year. That got him to 130 targets. Still a good number, but you know, 26 fewer targets than last year. So it's not insignificant. Mm-hmm. I feel better about Travis Kelsey at the end of round one than I do about Zach Ertz in the first half of round two. Oh yeah, I mean, I think both of us in our you know final numbers came out with you know sort of Kelsey in his own tier, top of tight end rankings, and then you know Zach Ertz, George Kittle in their own tier at two and three. Uh, elsewhere at tight end for the Eagles, Dallas Goddard's in his second season. His playing time was over fifty percent for the final six games of last season after being up and down before that, but. And in the playoffs, we saw him dip back down to 44%, 39% playing time in the final two games. You know, there are folks out there expecting some big stuff from Dallas Goddard. I mean, you know, relatively big stuff, but I, I just don't see it as long as Zach Hurts is in town. Yeah, me either. I know we I know we talked last year about how rare it is for teams to land, you know, two tight ends in fantasy relevant territory. I don't have those numbers in front of me, but I do know it's, it's rare. I don't expect it to happen without an Hurts injury, but I, I do think, you know, Goddard probably will be one of the reasons we see Ertz come down from from last year's 26% target share. Yeah, I think Goddard is a a threat as well to Zach Ertz's touchdown total, you know, just along with the offense just being kind of crowded in options at this point. Yep. Alshon Jeffrey, 25th among PPR receivers in 2018 overall, despite missing three games, 23rd at the position in points per game, but... Only six top 36 PPR weeks among his 13 games. That's 46.2% rate. That tied for just 37th at the position. So volatile last year was also volatile in 2017. Only four games of five-plus catches among his 16 regular season games in 2017. Yeah, we saw his target share come down a bit last year too. 21.3% in his first season with the Eagles. Down to 19.2% in his 13 games last season so you know with a guy like Dale Scott maybe taking on a slightly bigger role with the addition of Deshaun Jackson um, you know I think Alshon's gonna have trouble 
getting back to that 21% target share he saw in 2017. But the good news is his his efficiency really spiked last year in his second season with the Eagles. Um, 6.6 yards per target in 2017, up to 9.2 yards per target last year. That was 21st best among 79 wide receivers with 50-plus targets last year. Yeah, not in a great situation for volume, but in a very good situation for efficiency. Beyond showing better efficiency last year, the Eagles have gotten arguably at least the best speed complement since Doug Peterson arrived in town. They've obviously been pursuing that for the other outside spot. I mean, they took Torrey Smith two years ago, Mike Wallace last year, Deshaun Jackson, no matter how old he gets, is an upgrade on those guys as a downfield threat. We've got the threats in the middle that we just talked about. We've got a better backfield. We've got Uh, we're assuming a healthier Carson Wentz who was not ready for the beginning of last season. So obviously didn't get the summer of work last year. So, you know, overall Alshon Jeffrey is going to remain volatile, but it's a nice spot for touchdown upside and for yardage upside. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, in this offense, I would not be shocked if, you know, we're sitting here at the end of the year and Jeffrey scored 10 touchdowns in 2019. Mm -hmm. Deshaun Jackson, as we mentioned, did arrive. He has missed two plus games in each of the past two seasons and three of the past four seasons. Overall, in the five years since he left Philly the first time, he's missed 14 total games, but averaging 81.6 targets per season over that span, 17.8 yards per catch over that span. Jackson just led the league in yards per catch again last year with 18.9. It's the fourth time in his career he has led the NFL in that category. And as I said, the Eagles have been searching for the speed guy, and Deshaun Jackson is an upgrade over Torrey Smith and Mike Wallace. He is a, a best ball player Pretty much only, though, because he's going to be almost impossible to predict week to week. Yeah, I agree there. I'm curious to see how the Eagles deploy D-Jax and Nelson Aguilar, um, you know, as far as snaps and targets go. Aguilar, over the past two seasons now, 16.8% target share, 16.2% target share. So he's been pretty consistent there. The Eagles' third wide receiver those years, um, just 11.3% of targets and 11.9% of targets. Now, like you said, you know, Deshaun Jackson, a big upgrade over the guy who's been the Eagles third wide receiver the past two years. So, um, you know, I'm not sure if Deshaun Jackson sort of steps into Aguilar's role and sees, you know, 60% of targets or if, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of more split down the middle. I ho- I'm hoping one of the two kind of emerges as the clear number two wide out. Cause I think that guy then will be more of a reliable fantasy option if they're, you know, sort of splitting that second and third role, I think it's going to be tough for either guy to, to you know be a guy we can count on. Yeah, I don't think that we're going to see either of them get to 16% because we had Aguilar even last year, his, his targets uh, dove after Alshon Jeffrey returned and they slipped further or got less predictable even with Golden Tate after that trade. So I, I just think Nelson Aguilar is a guy that they have and not a special option at this point. And I, I, I don't think that Deshaun Jackson is going to get to the level that Aguilar had the previous two years because they have more guys overall than they have the previous two. Yeah, I mean, this offense is just loaded. I think that's that's just another reason to be excited about Carson Wentz. Yeah, if you want if you want to like any of these receivers more than you're finding yourself able to do, just throw that like into Carson Wentz. Yep. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, anything that we need to know about him for this year? I mean, he's, he's awesome. He's going to be a stud, but but not this year, not without an injury to, you know, at least one of the guys in front of him on the depth chart. I was a little worried when I saw you retweet something about uh, him being a red zone factor this year. Yeah, I mean, it's good to see that he's showing well in spring practices. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and I, I just don't think he's going to pass, pass uh, Jeffrey 
Jackson or Aguilar on the depth chart this season. Good, because I was starting to do like bicep curls, getting ready to to fight against the the attempt to move our Sega Whiteside up the the wide receiver rankings. <laughs> nah. Uh, on to who I like, and it's Carson Wentz more than anybody else, and that's because he is quarterback 12 in play draft right now, and I think his upside reaches into the top three at the position. Yeah, again, like I said, I love Wentz. I the only argument I can make against him is that you can get someone like Dak Prescott like five or six rounds later, but I do think there's nothing wrong with Wentz where he's going. Um, the other guy I like most, I mean, again, this is an offense I'm targeting in draft, so I, I sort of you know, am fine with pretty much everyone here, but um, Alshon Jeffrey is wide receiver 30 in ADP right now. Um, He finished wide receiver 23 in 2017 in his first year with the Eagles. And from week four on last year, after he missed those first three games, he was PPR wide receiver 17. So I think at wide receiver 30, you're getting a pretty nice discount on him. I agree. And if you stack them together in your draft, you get an even better value, especially on a best ball team. Yes. Uh, Who I don't, uh, I don't, I don't hate anybody, but Miles Sanders at running back 29 is not somebody that I'm going to be taking because I don't see the reason to draft him a full round ahead of Tevin Coleman right now, two and a half rounds ahead of Ronald Jones, and nearly three full rounds ahead of Jordan Howard. I just don't know that he's going to be that guy at any point this year without Jordan Howard getting hurt. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see the argument for him just based on upside at running back 29. If he does sort of emerge as the clear lead guy, he's going to crush that. But I, I do think there's... There's enough risk where he's a guy I'm generally going to avoid at that price, at least for now. Yeah. Like I said, I don't hate him. I, if somebody says, oh, I want Miles Sanders there, I'd be like, all right, fine, go ahead. Um, but I think his profile and Tevin Coleman's are almost the same. And Tevin Coleman's going around later and has actually you know, been in the NFL for a while and has now been signed again by the coach that was in Atlanta when they drafted him. So clearly San Francisco likes him. They just Those two look very similar. I'm getting a more proven yeah. Miles Sanders. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's very fair. All right, so we'll move on to Washington unless you got anybody else that you don't like. Nope. All right, Washington, which we shouldn't spend too long on, but uh, relevant coaching changes, I, I don't know if they're relevant, but it's it's worth noting, I guess, that Matt Cavanaugh went from the offensive coordinator the past two years to senior offensive assistant this year. <laughs> now Kevin O'Connell, who was the quarterback's coach last year, is the new offensive coordinator I, you know, we'll see if it makes any difference. But the biggest thing there is that Jay Gruden is still the head coach. He's heading into his sixth season. He's the offensive coordinator, as he has always been in the league. Yep, exactly. I think it's still Gruden's offense. I don't expect much change based on, you know, that that change in title between uh, O'Connell and Kavanaugh. On to the pass run split portion. Washington was under 60% pass in three of Gruden's five seasons. It, one of those even was the 4-12 and 12 first season there. Sub-60% the past two years, despite going sub-500 on the record each of those years. Uh, if you throw in his three years as Cincinnati's offensive coordinator, Jay Gruden's offenses are averaging a 58-42 pass run split. So that's what I went with for this Washington team. Yeah, I mean, they, they've been pretty consistent as far as run pl- pass split goes um, in Gruden's five seasons. So I have him right around that mark, too. I do think that Washington would like to lean more toward the run if possible this season, considering they're you know probably going to have a rookie quarterback out there for most of the season. And really it's a pretty loaded backfield, especially if Darius Geitz gets healthy and then, you know, anything they get from Bryce Love this season. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, on to QB notes where we start with uh, Dwayne Haskins, their first pick of the draft. 
it, it sounds like he is impressing in early workouts. He, of course, as we've mentioned before, he broke Big Ten records last year, broke the record for touchdown passes by 11, broke the previous record for passing yards by more than 800. If he continues to impress, I don't see any reason not to go ahead and let him open the season as a starting quarterback because Case Keenum in 2018 returned to his previous levels after that outlier of a 2017 for the Vikings. Yeah, I think Haskins is the favorite to be under center by week one. Um, that doesn't mean he's someone I'm interested in, 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 you know, one quarterback fantasy drafts. I think, you know, the position is just too deep. Um, I, I don't love the pass catching core around Haskins. He's not going to give us anything on the ground. The, the one sort of thing I could point in Haskins favor would be that Gruden actually has produced some nice quarterback seasons in Washington. Um, his first year there, you had Robert Griffin, Kirk Cousins, and Colt McCoy all start games. But if you combine their fantasy production, they would have ranked 14th at the position in fantasy points. Then Cousins finished ninth, fifth, and fifth among quarterbacks over the next three seasons. And then last year was just a mess with you know Alex Smith going down with that injury. Then you had Josh Johnson, uh, Colt McCoy again, and Mark Sanchez starting. But, you know, Gruden, it has been a pretty – quarterback friendly offense which I guess you know might bode well for Haskins long term but again you know this season I don't I don't see a reason to spend a draft pick on him outside of two quarterback leagues yeah I feel a little bit better about Haskins long term than I did right around NFL draft time but uh, there there's no reason to put him in your 2019 redraft plans if you want to like him this year then play some DFS and, and choose him as your $4,800 quarterback on DraftKings some week right yep uh, running back notes, we got Darius Geis up first. We will see about his knee, his repaired knee. Was a limited OTA participant, which is good. He's at least doing something. He's expected to be a full go, reportedly, for training camp. So, you know, it, it seems like things are looking up at this point. Washington did re-sign Adrian Peterson early in the offseason. They re-signed him for two years, but the contract really breaks down as $2.5 million for this year. Nothing guaranteed, no no big guarantees beyond that. He'll be cuttable after 2019. And I think at this point, now that we're expecting Darius Geis to be ready for the beginning of training camp, it, it, Adrian Peterson makes sense as an insurance policy. He delivered for them last year. He knows the offense. He's Adrian Peterson. He finished RB22 in points per game last year if you take out Week 17 when he only carried four times. Uh, tied for just 48th among running backs in targets. Not a shock. Yeah, like you said, a good insurance policy for Washington, I think, would be a fantasy factor again this season if Geis isn't ready or misses more time. But I, I do think Geis is the guy if he's healthy. I mean, he, he was an awesome prospect coming out of LSU, was buzzing hard last summer before that injury. Um, so I'm still high on him as a player. And Jay Gruden um, definitely prefers, you know, not not what I'd call a workhorse back, but he definitely prefers a feature ball carrier. If we include his three seasons as offensive coordinator of the Bengals, um, he's had a running back top 200 carries in six of his eight seasons. Um, and he's had a running back top 250 carries in four of, the, of his eight seasons. Yeah, and I, I agree with you that I don't think a healthy Darius Geis is sharing much with Adrian Peterson. I'm not worried about Adrian Peterson threatening his workload. Chris Thompson is back as well, but he is in the final year of his contract. He did tie for 18th among running backs and targets last year, despite missing six games, ranked ninth at the position in targets per game. Touchdowns fell somewhat predictably from five and six the previous two years to just one total touchdown last year. 
He saw his fewest red zone opportunities per game of the past four years last season. I don't think that's likely to rebound at all. It might even fall further with a more crowded backfield if Geis is healthy, Adrian Peterson's still around, and then even Bryce Love, whatever he does, is you know there for something. Chris Thompson's not somebody that's going to really be in my plans. Well, I mean, I've been anti-Chris Thompson the past few years just because of his price, but it seems like this year he he's finally at least fairly priced, and he he might end up being a value. I mean, I don't I don't think any of these other running backs on Washington are a threat to Thompson's role as that primary pass catcher, assuming he's healthy. I mean, like you said, five he averaged five and a half targets per game in his ten games last season. That followed. 5.4 targets per game in 2017. So, you know, he, he's been among the top 10 running backs in targets per game over the past couple of years. And I think, you know, he could be there again this season. You, you just, you know, you got to gotta plan for him to miss time. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, he went from being overdrafted last year to uh, being a, a much better value in drafts this year. I agree that Bryce Love, who's coming off uh, a December ACL tear, I'm not expecting him to do anything. So I don't, I don't want to overstate him as a factor against, Chris Thompson. I don't think he's going to do a whole lot this year. I, Chris Thompson's not going to be in my plans for lineup setting because I don't think he's going to be somebody that you can comfortably put into a lineup unless you have to. But for best ball, for where he's going, I think he's fine as like a fifth running back. Yeah, I agree. I think best ball is a place to, to draft him. And even, you know, someone to keep in mind for DFS when we get into that, that season. Mm-hmm. Any other running back notes before we move on? That's it. Pass catcher notes. Let's start with Jordan Reed, who still led the Lee, Lee led the team in targets last year, despite missing another three games. Fourteenth uh, among all PPR tight ends in points. Tenth in points per game if you take out the final game that he left early. Vernon Davis still around behind him. Jordan Reed, one of those guys you just have to project at some level and consider him at some point. Yeah, I mean he's not he's not dead yet. Six and a half targets per game last year. Nineteen percent target share in his 13 games also finished 11th in yards per route run among 28 tight ends that saw 40 targets last year. So he was, he was still effective when he was on the field. The guy's still only like 28 years old again, like, like, like Chris Thompson, he's going to miss time, but I think Reed, you know, can, can still, can still flirt with tight end one production whenever he's on the field this coming season. Yeah. And I like Jordan Reed relatively better than Chris Thompson because when Jordan Reed is healthy, he's somebody that I know I can put in my lineup at tight end. Yep. Whereas Chris Thompson's, you know, like a five or six touch guy a lot of times. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Josh Doxson is somebody <laughs> barely worth mentioning at this point. And I'll keep it short. Second in targets on last year's team. Exact same 78 targets as the year before. His share, though, was down from 18% in 2017 to 16.6% for the 15 games he played last year. And he was helped by Paul Richardson missing time. target share when Paul Richardson didn't play versus 13.8% when Richardson did. I am not at all interested in Doxson this season. Yeah, I'm just about done with Josh Doxson. You know, he's well, I think he's entering his fourth NFL season, but he's already going to turn 27 in December. He entered the league as an older prospect. I think, I think it's just about over for, for Doxson. Um, His 6.6 yards per target over the past two seasons ranks 66th among 74 wide receivers with 100 targets over that span. So you know, he, he's been one of the most inefficient wide receivers in the NFL. If you're hanging on to him still in Dynasty, you got to hope for a big week or two early in the season and then really sell him for whatever you can get, I think. Yep, for sure. 
Paul Richardson played only seven games in his first season with Washington, had a collarbone injury in training camp that, that didn't really cost him time, but was kind of nagging him uh, early in the season. It might have cost him one of those games. Knee injury finally put him on uh, IR, 14 points. Point, okay, let's try English again. 14% <laughs> target share for his seven games. Did sign for five years last offseason. He's headed into just his age 27 season. They paid him a bunch of money. They like him. Jay Gruden recently said, people seem to be forgetting that Paul Richardson's coming back. Paul Richardson's never been a high volume or a very durable guy, and he's not going to be all that attractive when we get to lineup setting drafts. But he's a solid late option for best ball leagues right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I could easily see Richardson leading the Redskins in targets this season and, you know, blowing by last year's target share. I could also see his target share declining, though. I mean, if Trey Quinn takes on a bigger role, um, they drafted a couple guys, Terry McLaurin and Kelvin Harmon. So, you know, there's there's going to be some competition there. So I could go either way with Paul Richardson. Um, but I think, yeah, he, he's, he's basically free in drafts. And at least in best ball, I think he makes some sense. Mm-hmm. So what about Trey Quinn? Why don't you start us off on him? You're going to give me the honors for Trey Quinn? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, yeah, so the slot receiver position has been a pretty nice place to be in Jay Gruden's offense. Um, last year, Jamison Crowder only played nine games, but he saw 50 targets in those nine games. It was a 16.6% target share. Crowder's target shares the previous three seasons, 19.1%, 16.3, 14.1. So I, I think, you know, you can project Crowder, sorry, you can project Trey Quinn to, you know, maybe see 15 to 16% of the targets this season. He's you know not going to be a big yards per catch guy. He's not going to be a big touchdown guy, but you know he, he should have a pretty high catch rate as that slot guy working some of those shorter routes. Yeah, if there is somebody in Washington that is going to turn into much more than we expect at draft time, I think it's Trey Quinn. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Gruden said at the March March League meetings, uh, this is a quote from him, obviously losing Crowder hurts, hurts quite a bit, but I'm ready to watch Trey Quinn jump in that slot role and dominate the position. I'm excited for him. We saw one season of Trey Quinn at SMU, and in that one season, he beat Cortland Sutton by 46 receptions, also beat Sutton in yards and touchdowns, despite Cortland Sutton having been on that team for four years. Uh, Trey Quinn is ready for the slot role in Washington. I could absolutely see him leading the team in targets. You don't have to draft him at a level where you're expecting to see big numbers from him. He's totally a reserve with nothing but upside to his draft position. Yep, definitely the Redskins wide receiver I'm most interested in drafting, especially in PPR. Mm -hmm. Uh, On the rookies that you mentioned, Terry McLaurin, uh, round three, Kelvin Harmon, round six. I'm not jumping on either guy for this year. Interesting to watch long term. Yeah, Megan, I think I think either guy could at least push Josh Doxson out of the way this season. And McLaren, I think, is at least a bit more interesting just because he obviously did play with Dwayne Haskins last year. So there is some, there is some chemistry there. And he has a, he gets a little bit of a best ball boost because he's more of a big play guy than Calvin Harmon. Right. Yep. And was also drafted three rounds earlier. So if you're going to bet on either one, I'd bet on the third rounder at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I had Harmon ranked higher pre-draft, but I think you know when when you see uh, McLaren go three rounds earlier, you sort of have to bump him ahead at least for this season as a guy with a better chance to carve out a role. Who I like, Trey Quinn, and also Paul Richardson, and mostly because they're both going very late. Trey Quinn is wide receiver seventy nine on play draft. 
Paul Richardson is wide receiver 94. He's basically going undrafted. He is right behind Rams receiver Josh Reynolds, for example. I don't I don't know why you would take Josh Reynolds if Paul Richardson is still on the board because one of those guys, if healthy, is going to be starting for his team and the other is not. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't want to get into the Rams, but Josh Reynolds is is literally just the wide receiver handcuff. You need one of their top three to miss time for him to have fantasy value. I have too many guys listed on who I like for the Redskins, considering <laughs> I don't like this offense. But um, yeah, I mean, I think Trey Quinn's a, a fine shot to take late. Jordan Reed, you know, in the double digit rounds as a tight end too, I think he makes a ton of sense. Um, again, I think Chris Thompson, you know, we have his ADP sitting in the 15th round. I think, you know, in PPR leagues, he makes plenty of sense there. And then Darius Geis, if he gets into, you know, the, the fifth round, it, it starts to become tough for me to pass on him just because I think he has really big upside at that price. And there's obviously, obviously risk, you know, with a guy who hasn't played a regular season down yet in the NFL, you know, coming off that knee injury. But again, I think, you know, he, we could look back and, you know, at, at this time next year, be talking about guys as a second round pick. Yeah. I mean, the flip side on the, who I don't, that there's nobody that I hate yeah. here for fantasy because they're not going to be overdrafted. I mean, guys is the closest to being overdrafted and he's running back 30 right now, early in round six on play draft. I can't argue with him at that level at all. Like I said a few minutes ago, he's he's right behind Miles Sanders. I mean, if I'm choosing between those guys, I'm taking Darius Geis close to every time because I think he's the one that has true lead back upside to his outlook this year. Yeah, yeah, me too. Give me give me Geis over Sanders every day. Yeah. And then yeah, I, I don't want to overstate the receivers and make it sound like I'm fired up for Washington's offense. I'm not, but if I'm sitting there with six wideouts on my roster already, and then I'm finishing up my draft with two guys that I think could fight for the team target lead, you know, could each approach or exceed 800 receiving yards, score four or five touchdowns. It's strong value at that point. Yeah. I think you'd have to pay me to draft Josh Doxon, but I think uh, Richardson and Quinn both make sense late. Yeah, I will leave Doxon there. I will let somebody else take him. But Paul Richardson, Trey Quinn, I will take uh, lots of times. Yep. That's going to do it for this NFC East edition of the Projections Podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to check out last week's episode, breaking down the AFC East. Of course, if you're a DS insider, you can also go ahead and check out all of our 2019 projections on DraftSharks.com. See where we rank all these guys, plus hundreds more. And then you can build your own custom MVP board, get into the drafting for yourself. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShoutDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Shaft saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 